Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome along to another summer edition of the Wise Men Say podcast. If I can just drag your attention away from the World Cup for five minutes, that would be great. Because, of course, we are all buzzing about the fact that it is indeed coming home. Gareth isn't here tonight, so it's just myself, Stephen Goldsworth, and I've drafted in Michael Loff, who's going to have to step up to the plate tonight. Well, I mean, last season I was referred to as a George Honeyman-type figure in the Wise Men Say team, but... I'm not sure if that's a good or a bad thing, so I'm going to have to be more of a first-team regular, I feel, tonight. Well, we'll find out if, if, if that's going to be the case as the season starts. We've got a couple of special guests with us tonight. Um, we first introduced Charlie Method to the show, and we, we've spoken a lot, Charlie, but we've, we've never had you on the show yet, so well, welcome along. Thank you very much, Tim. And you had a good weekend because you were, you were seeing the lightning seeds in, in sunny side of the weekend. It was a I've, very very good time to watch those guys, wasn't it? If I was to say that I've fully recovered, I'd be lying. I'm <laughs> still in a bit of a daze. I probably haven't... Um, I haven't been in quite that state since I was about 22. It was probably the entire country that wanted the Lightning Seas playing in their city on mm. Saturday night. It was just it was just one of those sort of picture-perfect days. You know, you get up, the weather's lovely, you have a few beers, you go watch England get through to the semi-final of the World Cup, you go and watch the Lightning Seas and everyone's jumping around. It was just an amazing day, but it has had a bit of an effect, a sort of after-effect, unfortunately. So if I'm not quite as sharp as usual, please <laughs> ascribe it to the big weekend. Yeah, it's, some of the best podcasts we've ever done, we've been hung all day on <laughs> The one after we got in the um, League Cup final in 2014 was a particular highlight. Actually, it was the after the semi-final of Man United game we came in and we had the deal and we were, we were hanging. But we got good feedback from that episode because uh, <laughs> our voices have gone and stuff like that. I'm also uh, delighted to welcome Tony Davison, who is the new MD at Sunderland. So glad to have you along, Tony. Thanks very much, guys. Uh, Great to be here. And you've been, be in, you've been in, you commented that you've been in, in Sun FM, the studio where we record this, but quite a while ago. Yeah, I think I did some sort of Samson the Cat related stuff sort of um, <laughs> 20 years ago or something, some sort of promo uh, a long time ago, but... Um, not much has changed. And what, so, what, what's it like for you then coming back? Could you just give us a little bit about your story, the first time you were you were here, Tony, and and, and what's happened since? Yeah, it was. I mean, it's it's it's, it's great. Being, it's great to be back. It's good. Um, you know, it's, it, I know um, Stuart and Charlie very well, and the, when the opportunity came, I sort of couldn't resist. Uh, but the first time I was here, obviously, I just worked in the and started out in the ticket office with um, when we were selling the seats for the new stadium in Reedy's Bar. If you remember that, at Rotor Park. Um, and then, you know, ended up ended up being 
Samson the cat for a bit and working in a commercial team in the marketing team doing a bit of everything and then went off and did a few other things and now I'm back it's good fun and does it just feel like it's meant to be did the, did the stars align for you to, to come back at this point how did it open up for you yeah there is a little bit like that obviously as I say I know um, Stuart and Charlie very well so the um, we, we, we just chatted randomly about which football clubs you you sort of people should buy and all that kind of thing and what you look for in a in a football club and then because um, initially obviously Stuart and Charlie were looking at Oxford and that kind of thing but then when it becomes your club all of a sudden it becomes very very interesting so the chance for these guys to come in and, and hopefully um, fix for want of a better word Sunderland Football Club too much of a chance to miss really that that's quite a corporate answer for Tony. The, the the actual truth is is that he texted me after we bought the club saying don't give that job to anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> I remember right when we were in a bar in Mayfair when, when, when the conversation first came up. That's and, that's uh, yeah, that's good. That's the kind of people we want working for the club, isn't it? So you, your role, Tony, then um, less on on the getting involved in transfers and the playing side, and very much about making uh, Sunderland an attractive proposition commercially. That's absolutely right. I think the um, you know we've got um, Jack and Tony Corton and Richard at the training ground, the academy know exactly what they're talking about. You know they're they're, they're the football guys. I mean my job there is to um, look after the non-playing side of the business, just to try and um, drive up the revenue so that we can hopefully put a winning team on the pitch. I think that you know that there's been a, a move in football to go for what might be called chief executives, and both Stuart and I felt that and have felt for some time and it's been true at the majority of clubs I've worked for or with that it's, it's a difficult role because you've got the football side which requires a certain type of CV and then you've got the non-football side which is a totally different skill set I mean it's dealing with corporates it's dealing with customers fans supporters it's dealing with local stakeholders politicians all sorts of different things and, and the kind of career that you need to, to, to make you fit the, the job of MD is radically different to the one that is required to enable you to deal with football agents, footballers, how you want the pitches to be, you know, all that kind of managers and all this type of stuff. So we felt right from the start that we needed somebody who whose CV was spot on for, for making sure the commercial and marketing side of the club was done right. And we have lots of people, as you can probably imagine, Tony, asking us about the concerts. Now, I know you've just done an interview <laughs> with um, a Love Supreme, and I, I am conscious I don't want to... On one hand, you don't want to replicate some of that information you've given, but everybody might not have read that, and some of our listeners might not have read that, so they should go and check that out if they haven't. Um, but naturally, when we put it out there to our Twitter followers, that was one that come up a lot of times, about the about getting the gigs back at the stadium of late. I think we'd love to get the gigs back. I think the, um, you know, it's obviously easier said than done. There's a lot of other venues around the place, and every every concert promoter does you know they do London, they do Manchester. We need to make sure we're we're on that roster, and we we'd love to bring the gigs back, but it's not a it's not a given yet. We've got a lot of work to do to try and bring them home. You I know? mean, it makes such a difference to somewhere like Sunderland, doesn't it? I, I think Absolutely. with some some of the more major cities, probably wouldn't wouldn't really it wouldn't really affect their communities as much. But it was a massive part of of every summer here as a Sunderland fan. I think the line the club give when they scrapped those was that we could maybe play the first game of the season at home, which we, we would lose anyway, historically. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, we were able to play that memorable friendly against Celtic uh, <laughs> uh, because we didn't have concerts that year. But, yeah, but I, think, I think that everyone likes the, the idea of the concerts. You know, we like, um, we like the revenue that it brings in um, and we like the profile that it gives the, the club and the city. 
and we, you know, and, and if we do do it, we need the city to get back in, back involved. We need the council to get back on our side. We need the fans to support the concerts, and I'm sure we can. But mm. we've, you know, it's not a given. It's a lot of work to do. We've got to try and um, get the right gigs at the right price and at the right revenue for the club. Because it all ends up on the pitch, you know. Ultimately, mm. it could have been an interesting uh, summer. This one had England been successful in their 2018 World Cup bid, because of course Sunderland was was part of that bid. That would be the ultimate, wouldn't it, for for the city? If if the FA were to turn around, this is very theoretical, obviously. I don't put you on 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 a spot for something that might never even happen. But if the FA were to turn around um, in a couple of weeks and say, right, we're going to go for the uh, 2030 bid, would you would you guys be? Trying to throw Sunderland into that bid, I can't believe you wouldn't be trying to to, to do <laughs> yeah. so, wouldn't you? And, and hopefully they look at our shiny, new shiny red seats and go, "Get in, boys!" <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll move the white ones over and we'll have a St George's yeah. cross. Yeah, we'll, yeah. It was a re- it was a re- it was a really interesting bid that uh, that uh, Quinn did because he tried to involve the whole northeast and that, and I think like Chesler Street and Lumley Castle and everything were involved. So we'll not go down that road. It might might never even happen. Uh, Charlie, we were going to um, initially we were going to get Paul Reid on 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 tonight. Yeah. He's apologetic and says he'd love to come back another time. No um, problem at all. That's no problem at all. I think um, the academy is something. When I, when I first mentioned that, you you said that you've stressed before that this is something you're passionate about and you're enthusiastic about the the academy being right and correct at Sunderland. So, yeah. What was it about Paul that attracted um, you to him for this position? Well, funny enough, actually, um, it, it was Stuart who knew Paul. Okay. Um, at the end of his career, he he, he ended up poor chap at Eastleigh FC. Um, where he met the owner of Eastleigh FC, now the owner of Sunderland, and um, Paul had actually had a pretty distinguished playing career. Um, he'd you know been a Championship player, um, Championship League One player, and had been the captain at every club he'd ever played at. Um, and Stuart said, "There's just something about this young man that I think is is really really good." And now I've been involved with academies before, so I was I have to admit a little bit sceptical because I sort of felt we'd probably be going out for somebody with prior academy experience, um, but. Then I had a couple of hours with Paul and decided I, that wasn't the case, that this was just a very impressive young man, as Stuart said, and he's somebody who had ideas, uh, freshness, a real brightness about him and a, and a desire to do things in the way in which um, we believe things should be done. I just want to sort of just quantify that a little bit. You'll probably see a, a common thread between the people that we're appointing. You know, Jack Ross is 42 and he's on his way up in his career. Um, Tony um, 44 and is also on his way up in his career Paul Reid is I think 37, 38 something like that, and is on his way up in, the, in his career we felt that Sunderland had been um, overburdened for a long time with people who were seeing it almost as the latest stop in a long career or the last stop in their career and that that, that sort of raw freshness and energy that we needed to get back into the organisation was so important that in almost every key position, we had to have somebody who saw this as their biggest opportunity in their career. And the only thing, you know, if they get this right, then the rest of their career is going to be absolutely fantastic. And Paul absolutely fits into that into that um, category. He's done a degree in sports business management, which, again, a lot of footballers wouldn't naturally do. So we've got somebody who's coming with, with, with fresh ideas. Now, there are people who are already at the academy, um, senior people at the academy, who have all the necessary qualifications and experience to run an academy in any case. So it wasn't like we needed to go and recruit yet another academy person. We already had a lot of those, but we, we felt a bit of leadership was required. Um, going on to the, the implied second bit of your question, if I, if I may, Stephen, which is you know the passion for the academy, etc. Um, right from the start of coming to Sunderland, I said Sunderland needs to play to its strengths. I think every business needs to play to its strengths. Every football club needs to understand what it has that makes it different. 
And um, Sunderland has a Category 1 academy, which I think some supporters may not know how rare that is. I think there are 15 in the country. Um, so it's a very small number of non-Premier League clubs that has a Category 1 academy. What that enables you to do is to recruit and keep the, the best young footballers. Um, it means you've got better facilities in other academies, which means that, you know, obviously, in theory, the best players should want to come to you. It means you've got the best coaches of all the academy system. So we felt that that, combined with a very large local working-class population, which is going to produce more young footballers than a less football-minded part of the country, means that this is a natural strength. It's not a natural strength that we're going to recruit lots of um, foreign players who view Wearside as being their, their natural habitat, but it is a natural strength to say we've got a, this huge pool of talent and we need to maximise that. And, of course, the spotlight is on Sunderland's Academy a little bit now because we oh. just mentioned the World yeah. Cup at the, at the start of the programme yeah. there. And what it's really done is highlighted that it actually it is fit for purpose because we've got not just two players in the squad, but we've got two players who are very important in that starting eleven for mm. England and are getting a lot of national recognition so that's coming at a good time surely as well yeah I mean I, I don't know the, the, the two Jordans personally but I'm not the only Sunderland fan that probably had a tear in, tear in the eye when you know when, when Pickford pulls off that save and then Henderson dives in mm. I mean we talked about the um, you know the the, um, the penalty shootout being almost a kind of a, a metaphor for what we're trying to do with Sunderland where one of our guys would have been absolutely vilified in the press and then his mate comes and helps him out, mm-hmm. and that is what we're trying to instill in the club generally. Mm-hmm. You know, if one of your one of your mates is is, is down, the, your other mate comes along and helps you out. Mm-hmm. And so it was just it was a re- and that was the night before I actually started the next day. So it was, you know, my hello speech was written by the two Jordans. But yeah, I bet the Sunderland fans all over the, the region were, as I say, with a just bursting with pride. I don't even know the guys. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs and medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hmm. Just speaking about the two Jordans, um, obviously when we were in the Premier League and at the time when Jordan Henderson was here, we were particularly we were almost on our way to being established as a mid-table Premier League club. 
So naturally, when the likes of Liverpool, etc., come in, and then Jordan Pickford's case, when Everton came in, when we were in the Championship, there's no real option but to sell them. And even if the lads want to stay financially, we have to take the money that we got for them. But now we're in League One. Do you think we now need a little bit of a mentality change and try and keep these young lads here and change the culture whereby if they excel here that they aren't just tempted to go to a lower Premier League team and sit on the bench or a Championship team who might not even be a bigger club than Sunderland so one is that something you want to try and bring in and two how would you go about bringing in that culture change Look, I think the, it's very hard to um, force individual players each of whose motivations are different um, to conform to one standard of behaviour um, so I could never guarantee to you that a player who comes out of that academy and makes it in the professional game will not want to go and play at the highest possible level. Um, most footballers do. It's relatively rare that footballers say, do you know what, actually, I'm OK, I don't need or want to move to the bigger club or the, the, the club higher up the pyramid, wherever that might be. So that, for the next year or two, is going to be a challenge for us um, because if players do come out of the academy and make it, then there will be clubs from higher league who come knocking and they might just think well rather than waiting for Sunderland to make it back to where Sunderland belongs I can short circuit that and I can move on and further myself in my career do I think that's unhealthy no um, I think it'll be the sign we've got a thriving academy which is producing league ready players and the money that then comes into the club will then be redeployed to bring in other players and to put more money into the academy to go and get other young players from elsewhere into the academy so I don't think it's a big problem I think it's a sign of where we are. It's a reality of where we are. And obviously the ultimate ambition is to get to the level where it does have to be a Liverpool. Yeah. It has to be a club of that sort of stature for a, for a player in the, in, in the academy here to leave. Or someone who's come out of the academy, I should say, here to leave for. And um, that's, that's where we want to get back to. And in the meantime, um, every player that comes through and makes it a, as a professional, we will be trying to keep. Um, and keeping him playing here as long as possible so that people can watch what's coming out of there but if at some point they come to us and say I've got another big club involved another big club interested they're going to pay us a lot, they're going to pay you a lot of money you have to have that conversation and some of the younger players have expressed an interest in moving on already haven't they well <laughs> I think when Stuart's been on the podcast before he's mentioned it there that I think it was quite interesting because he said if you listen to their agents dot 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 okay and I think the reality of the situation has been is that once the manager's spoken to the players, the message has been a bit different. Um, and I was on the pre-season tour last week, and the body language and the message was absolutely not of players who wanted to leave. They were um, trying trying their heart out and um, very, very passionate about Sunderland. I was I was super impressed, actually, by the group of young players that, that, that have made the first team. They were inquisitive, passionate about the club, really passionate about the club I haven't seen that in many young players at other clubs I have to say they were passionate about the club they were asking me a lot of questions about what our plans are about the, the philosophy that was lying behind it where we wanted to take the club what direction it in that's that's not the sign of young players looking to lead the club mm. that's the sign of young players who really care about their club and we were always hoping that would be the case wouldn't we because you know, agents can say a lot of things but until sometimes you meet the the player themselves and, and you know we know we had Jack and Hay and he's, he's a very sort of engaging person very likeable lad isn't he so I'm guessing you were always hoping that was going to be the case when he had the chance to meet those players um, yeah and I think that the group of players we're talking about again from experience of other footballs other clubs are just by happenstance unusually bright um, they're quite a sort of smart bunch of players you know talking about your Honeymans your Gucci's your Watmores etc who are all pretty sharp I'd say and I think Jack is again by chance a good manager for that kind of player because he's a, he's a smart modern type of manager who can engage with players on that level and I saw that out in Portugal so 
look, I, I can't say what's happening um, behind the scenes, mostly because I don't know. Um, but secondly, if I did, I couldn't just spit it out here because yeah. these, these are confidential conversations. But it doesn't look to me like right right now like there's going to be some sort of mass exodus of um, of players who've recently come out of that academy. Okay, some of the questions we have been asked will, will be better for, for Paul, I think, but I, I, I guess I can kind of... Yeah. This one's kind of generic, I can ask yeah. it. When he came and he impressed you in the interview, was it was his vision for the academy just the root sort of root into the first team or was it everything from like under eights upwards to the yeah, other it's, like, it's, 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 it's under eights upwards it's about the entire philosophy that underpins an academy and the type of culture you want to get into that academy um, and then the performance route which lies between the under 18 under 18 team into the first team I think all of us involved if I'm being honest with you have got um, a little bit of scepticism about the efficiency of the under 23 system <laughs> yeah, um, just a little bit, yeah. And I know that's not fashionable in football. It's fashionable in football to really buy into the under twenty three system. But Jack Ross, I know when when he was in here, said that he had his concerns and doubts about it. And I, I think most of us involved in in the new leadership team at Sunderland believe that young players need to play adult football before the age of twenty twenty one. And being League One, one positive thing about the the league we find ourselves in now is that the players are going to have the opportunity to do that because there. Are, have been a, uh, there's been a lot made from the media about this England team again going back to that and and some of the the standard of football they've played at and they've name checked some of the clubs who tend to be championship bottom end championship league one league level one really, yeah. and some of league two in fact yeah, yeah. And, and I mean that that's where we are now so yeah. it's not even a case of trying to like previously look towards some of those clubs to loan them out to they, these guys are going to be battling for the first team now aren't they and there's, there's never been a better chance for them if they're not then you have to question their future career in professional football because by definition, mm. if you aren't competing for a first-team place in a League One club, then let's say you're 21, there are only so many divisions lower than that that realistically you, you're going to be able to play professional football in. So it is an opportunity on the one hand, but I think it's a challenge as well. So um, just when you talk about um, adult football... Um I mean, I totally agree with you. There's, there's not too many levels below League One where you have a realistic ambition of still being a professional footballer. But say if you had a quite a, a gifted young player, so I think Jack Diamond's really excelled in the twenty threes and he's had a chance. Would you rather a player like him continue under twenty threes, or he went out to say even the Northern League club or a Conference North club and tried to apply his trade in adult football that way? Or do you prefer than have a bit more time under twenty threes first? Well, I think first of all I should qualify this by saying I'm not a football guy. <laughs> um, so these decisions, thankfully, um, and Sunderland fans should be thankful, are not going to be my decisions. <laughs> Can I speak for a moment as a football punter down the pub, yeah, if you don't mind? So these are not the views of Sunderland AFC; they're the views of Charlie Meffin. Um So I think if you look at Jack Darman's quite young. Yeah. So the, I think the players that we're talking about and not the ones who are 18, 19. Mm-hmm. We're talking about ones who are 20, 21. Yeah. And if you look at the professional game, there are very few people who have um, fulfilling professional careers who by the age of 21 haven't played at least 50 first-team games in a full yeah. men's league football club. Yeah. It's quite rare. Um, or in Vardy's case, it was the conference, but still, it's, it was still a decent level of men's yeah. football. He was playing at that sort of age. Um, so I think that that is the crucial developmental age, nine, sort of 18, 19, 20 when they do have to start learning what it means to, you know, catch an elbow, um, to get buffed off the ball a bit. If they're a centre-forward, they have to learn how to cope. One of the most inspiring things I've seen this summer is watching Harry Kane against two top-class Colombian centre-backs getting smashed from behind all game and standing up to it, holding the ball up, moving the ball around, playing people in, etc. I thought that is a centre-forward at the top of his game. 
And that's men's football. That is real men's football when you've got two six foot three, six foot five guys really trying to serve it up to you um, in the number nine position. So I think that it, these aren't my decisions to make, but I think Jack Ross um, has made it pretty clear that he thinks that some of these young players do need to go and get experience of men's football. It'd be interesting to say, Warnot. Uh, could, could you think, Tony, if I mentioned there about the gigs and the concerts and a lot of people asking about mm-hmm. that? Do you think there's one other issue that uh, that my fondly already remit that people might be asking? Could you guess what that is about the stadium, about the logistics of a stadium? What's quite topical at the moment? It's not pink seats again. No, it? no, unfortunately not. I think we are. You have answered that one uh, between you <laughs> all. I think um, people are aware of that. But safe standing is is, is, oh. is coming up. Yeah. Um, is that is that something you've had a conversation about? You're just going to wait to see what happens because, of course, it hasn't been cleared or anything yet. Of course. No, I mean, I, sorry, I have to say that one from Tony because I was at the football league conference. Mm. Um, a month ago and there was a debate on it at the Football League conference and it was just unanimously decided by the Football League clubs that we were in favour of safe standing mm-hmm. and I spoke in favour of it um, and you know I'm a passionate believer in standing at football grounds um, I actually think the current seating arrangements are unsafe because the reality is is that large chunks of the crowd at every ground I've been at want to stand and do stand yeah. and then they're stood there with absolutely nothing in front of them um, and that's not the right way not the right way for it to be so suffice it to say mm-hmm. that Sunday FC is very heavily in favour of safe standing um, we're unfortunately caught in a position at the moment where we're in League 1 where terracing is allowed, not even safe standing old yeah. school terracing is allowed in League 1 but not if you've spent more than two years in the top two divisions which is totally ridiculous and unfair um, it's an arbitrary rule um, and um, you know, hopefully given the recent parliamentary debate which went massively in its favour, hopefully that rule will get changed soon. Mm, I mean if ever there's a club that would embrace a group of fans that are in yeah. safe standing at Sunderland and killing two birds with one stone as well because the way the way modern football fans um, position themselves in the ground they fill it from the back now don't they yeah. well, on, on the terrace they used to fill from the front so of course you see uh, and as I'm sure you guys have seen by the season tickets that have been sold I would, best, I would guess the front ten rows behind the goals are, are barely touched because that's the way a football fan thinks now and safe standing would would possibly change your mentality as well it, if you could start it, doing that. It does cause a sort of almost a different headache because the, um, the 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 front seats you end up having to try and kind of dress the stadium almost for things like TV and it always looks mm. bad on it cameras. Looks horrible. That it looks horrible. If we've yeah. got the lower tier and we've got 30,000 people in the lower tier but you might still have it from five rows completely empty mm-hmm. all the way around. Everyone said, well, there's no one there but 30,000 in League One's a phenomenal attendance. That's Is that something you've, you've thought about? Because I'm, I'm glad you've mentioned that and you see it like that, Tony, because we've discussed this in the show so many times. I think it makes a difference personally to the atmosphere as well and, and to the outside perception we have as, you, as, you know, as you've just said there. But I mean... What 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 can what can even be done about that? I mean, we did we did change some of the um, the east and lower seat categorisation for this summer, and that was a decision that um, the ticket office manager had already made, which was the right one to try and persuade people by uh, price incentives, if you want to call it okay. that, to come on the halfway line the lower mm. tier, because um, you can sit on the halfway line for the same price, um, you know, in in the lower fifteen rows as you can to sit in the back far corner of the. Mm the east stand so you hope that people migrate to that from a um, from a pricing point of view and also closing down the Premier Congos obviously fills that lower bowl mm. more as well but it's interesting isn't it because I know Aston Villa had the same problem and they did they actually made their front row seats um, cheaper but however Villa Park is a different stand and you know you'll have all sort of segregation issues if you try to do that here wouldn't you because at the moment you can walk all the way around the ground so yeah. that would be a different problem altogether I guess I think it, it depends on whether you see it as a problem whether um you know, we'd love to have the lower tier in the the front rows filled, but yeah. at the same time, I'd love 
to the whole everyone in the country to see thirty thousand on that when they pick up the newspaper on a Sunday to see you know, they'll be saying thirty thousand people at Sunderland that you know rarely on the T V. I mean I, ironically apart I, from the I, first I, look, I mean I just I, I, I cannot believe the support we've received. <laughs> I'm so happy and humbled by it. Um when we came in and they'd sold just under sixteen thousand season cards um, and they're the hardcore who almost renew under any circumstance, which every club has. Just most clubs don't have as many of them as Sunderland. But if you just think about what those Sunderland fans have been through, those 16,000 plus the extra 6,000 who have renewed since then, for them to come and still carry on showing their support for the club is quite unbelievable. Because these are, in plain terms, these are really, really hard times. You know, there are some myths that grow up around attendance. Um, and what you have to say is you have to look at a club when it's going through hard times and that's when you measure what its real support is and the reality is you know I went to watch Oxford play against Newcastle United at St James's Park in 1991 I think it was and we drew two all in front of 10,000 crowd of 10,000 mm-hmm. and there were probably a thousand Oxford fans there so there have been about 9,000 Geordies in, in, the, in the crowd that day and we're told now that Newcastle's got the best support in the world well when they were struggling like Sunderland's struggling now under our dealers back in those days their support was 10,000 yep. and yep. we're looking at 25, 30,000 coming to, coming to Sunderland this season so I am just so humbled and so proud of what the Sunderland fans have done in, in supporting the club yeah, we all know that. They're called 1992 mags, or what they're called, Charlie. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> thank you for putting us in on that yeah. one. <laughs> um, this is a finance ward, I'll be honest. It's, it's, it's not my bag finance, but I did say I would read it out for Chris. Um, could you explain the situation with Satori and the 20%? Uh, has he paid £3 million for 20%, or how does the deposit work? Yeah, OK, practice? so um, I don't know about the deposit, but um, it's, not, it's nothing to do with the deposit. So basically, um, as we said when we took over the club, we're paying Ellis Short out in stages. Right. Yep. So what Juan has done is he's paid his proportion of what has been paid to Ellis thus far. Okay. Or or is or is in the or is in the process of being paid to Ellis. Mm-hmm. So if Juan has paid two million pounds, that's twenty percent of the ten million pounds total that's okay. been paid to Ellis. Got you. I hope that's okay because I'm not going to come back with anything. I don't know enough about it, if I'm being honest. Uh, a couple of people asking how many pints you had on Saturday. I think you must have run into some people, Charlie, when you were when you were enjoying yourself on Saturday night. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I think you were crowd surfing at one point. Was it a very was a very late the, one? I take by, it. by the time I got to Sunnyside, I'd stopped counting. <laughs> Where did you watch the game? Uh, watch the game actually. A, a new. Um, New place in town called Mexico Seventy that was really good. Oh, not yes. to not to advertise things on on radio etc. Yeah. But it was really, I have to say it was excellent. I, I don't even know why you just asked me that because I remember my friends um, text me and tell me actually now come to think about it. Maybe I had a few myself by that point as well. Um, people are asking what the disciplinary procedure is for earwall players. <laughs> <laughs> that is private within the club. Okay. Yeah. I'm no afraid. problem at all. No problem. And that's not that's not me being arsy. It's just that when you're dealing with employees, HR dictates that you have to deal with them in confidential way and then obviously ultimately the outcome might be made public but the, the yeah. process itself cannot be. Has there been a decision made on Kevin Ball yet and his role at the club or? Um, I don't know is the answer to that because I haven't caught up with Stuart on that subject in the last few days but I know that they were speaking to Kevin last week at some point I, I, I don't know what what the outcome of that was Okay and I, I guess you know, just the two of you ready, ready to get going now. This World Cup is a nice distraction, isn't it? But um, you know, it's 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 coming around quicker this this year, isn't it? And everybody's it's, England's 
England's advance, you know, advance in, in the World Cup might might even help as well because it might give people a bug even Absolutely. more. I mean, it, it can't um, it, it can't hurt if you remember back after Italia ninety, mm. we played Spurs. Yeah, um, twenty odd thousand, twenty eight, twenty nine thousand there when Gaza and Lineker was playing for Spurs. I remember that game well. It was a rubbish game. It was sort of nil nil. It was nil nil. Yeah. So it was a, it was a terrible terrible game. But the the buzz around the place at Roker Park was incredible, and I think the the England team can help us in that score but at the same time we've got to do it for ourselves we can't just rely on the England team to do it we've got so much to do between now and the, and the 4th of August to get us where we need to get to and the fans are doing their bit we've got to do our bit as well yeah. so we've got to bring in partners we've got to bring in sponsors we've got to sell LED L- League 1 opens up doors that aren't open in the Premier League for people to get involved in things that in the Premier League would, would cost you 50 grand for a minute LED you know in the League 1 you can get one for 5 grand so if businesses can get involved where they, they maybe couldn't in the Premier League mm. opens up new opportunities instead of thinking oh well we can't sell that we've, we've just got to get out there and get it done yeah well thanks for coming in uh, I'll, the, the final question because I, I know you guys said half an hour the final question Charlie Mark Darby said um, can you ask Charlie is it coming home <laughs> um, if I were a betting man which I am um, <laughs> then I'd recognise that I'm too hopelessly emotionally involved to make a sane judgement on that <laughs> yeah my, I mean, my, my missus said um, she, she sort of after the game she said um, so I presume you're going to Russia yeah she just assumed that I'd find some sort of excuse to, <laughs> to get myself out there for the semis and final yeah I had a call this morning from, from, the, from Stuart saying um I'm off to Russia. I can't can't, oh, can't hold myself back any longer. <laughs> he's gone. He's gone across, is he? Yeah. It must be nice, wasn't it, just uh, to be able to do that? It must well, be nice. I had quite a few messages this morning from various people saying they've found a way. Mm. So, sort of, you know, I hope it's not a once in a lifetime opportunity, but it could be. It could be. Uh, I, I, I think we'll be okay with Gareth Southgate. And if our academy can um, be as progressive as he's been with with, with stuff, then we're, we're halfway there. So, I'd like to thank you both for coming in thanks guys and, appreciate it and we'll start the season um, and see how we're the lads and how we're England thanks for listening cheers guys cheers every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss plus with a US based restoration specialist on your team You won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.